Well, thanks for being here and uh, appreciate that. And, you know, when I first spoke with, with you guys, you know, I, I was aware of yeah, this is a sensitive type deal, you know, because this is our lives. And uh, we don't always like to, you know, let, let everybody know what's, what goes on and where we come from and, and our experiences. So I want to just start by uh, thanking you guys, thanking particularly you, Heidi, uh, for uh, just, I guess, having courage and uh, a real, you know, sense of purpose. And sharing, and mum and dad as well. To bring it up, to bring everybody up the up the kind of speed. Um, I'm going to go BH before Heidi uh, back to where um, Reg and Lynn uh, met. You guys went to the same school, all right? Uh, close, by. close by. Okay, all right. Yeah, microphone. Okay. So uh, you guys met in um, uh, many years ago in Penrith in the Blue Mountains area where you, you grew up. Um, you got married there. Uh, you became Christians after you were married. And you had a real sense of God's calling on your life that occasioned you to come to Queensland from the Penrith Blue Mountains area. Um, in Queensland, you went to uh, a Bible study uh, at the Bible College at, at Garden City Christian Church at the time, um, and uh, and there was a real sense to the Vietnamese people, and there is a strong Vietnamese community in Dara, which is where you guys finished up. So you started a work, a church in Dara. How old is Heidi at this time now? Because he- Heidi was born when you just before you moved up, right, Lynn? Four years old when we moved up. Right. Israel was born just before we moved up. Okay. And now you've started the church up here. Uh, how old's Heidi at this stage? At Dara. Yeah, at Dara. No, at Dara, I was about 12. About 12. 13. 12 or 13. Okay, all right. So mum and dad are pastoring this Vietnamese church in Dara. You're like that really awkward age, my... Uh, <laughs> Due respects to all the 13s and 14s or whatever 12 year olds in, in the uh, audience here tonight um, and, uh, and mum and dad have got all of these uh, Vietnamese people and you're a little Aussie girl going along, how's this going for you? Hey, are you enjoying this church experience or is it a bit difficult for you? I liked some of it, I liked serving but I didn't like that there was nobody my age Right, so the church was a full, of lo- a full, of, full of a lot of older people Yeah, Right. everybody Everybody <laughs> And that didn't kind of work so well for you. No. So you're about 13 years of age at this, at this point, yeah? And, uh, and at some point, you got the idea in your head to take off from home and move to Sydney. When, yeah. did, when did that first hit you? How old were you? That was when I was 17. 17, yeah. right. So how long before the idea came to your mind that this would be the right thing to do and you actually followed through with it? Probably not very long, right? <laughs> but I'd always thought that I would move out of home quickly. Right. So, you, but you're 17. Mm-hmm. Have you finished school? Yep, I finished year 12. Okay, so you finished year 12, and now it's off to Sydney. Were Mum and Dad consulted in this move? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you tell them you're moving to Sydney? Um. Interview. <laughs> Probably just before I left. I would have been chicken to tell them beforehand. So you had the whole thing planned? Yep. And this is a surprise to mum and dad? A little bit, yeah. 
Were you surprised? Probably surprised, but sort of knew something was happening. Right. So is it fair to say, Heidi, that your relationship with Jesus has slipped away by this point, by the time you're 17? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And at what point did that start to ebb away, do you reckon? Um, probably when I was 14, probably 14, was 15. Yeah. 14, 15. Yeah. You, you started finding fun outside the church. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you moved to Sydney at the age of 17, not a lot of consultation with mum and dad, like the day before, hey mum and dad, I'm out of here, see you later, basically? Yeah, basically. Okay, so what was the attraction? Why Sydney and what was the attraction? Um, I had a boyfriend and he had family in Sydney, so okay. I wanted to move there. So your boyfriend, uh, he was up here? Yes. Okay, so he's moving with you? Yes. Well, Sid- sorry, he moved first and then I followed shortly after. Okay. But it was a, a joint, it was, you, you both knew that you were both going to move. Yes. Right. And then, Sid, did you live with him in Sydney? Um, I had an apartment, but he was there a lot. Right. Okay. And what was life like for you in Sydney? There wasn't, you didn't join a church or anything like that? No. <laughs> um, it, I thought it was good at the time. I was 17, 18, and I was having a lot of fun, um, but it was putting me on a path that wasn't very good. Right. Did you know that you're on a path that wasn't very good or you just couldn't see the end of the path at that time? No, I thought I was having a lot of fun and I thought when I was ready to stop, I would get my life right. Like I always um, knew that I wanted to be a Christian and I wanted to that to be my life, I guess, when I grew up, but I wanted to have my fun and do what I wanted to do. Right. So with your, um, you've got a new group of friends, I guess your boyfriend and a new group of friends. Yes. So what's, give us a, a bit of a glimpse into, I guess, a typical week. What's life for you like in Sydney at 17, living, with, um, living amongst a group of friends that probably are all heading down the same pathway? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Um, what's life like for you? What does it consist of? What are your pastimes? What are you involved with? Well... When I met my friends, I was 18, and I met them at the pub, and so we would go clubbing from Thursday till Sunday night. Right. Yeah, all weekend. Right. Party drugs? Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. Thursday night to Sunday night. Did you know this was going on, Mum? Did you know this? No. No? (laughs) Did you have a sneaking suspicion? Um, Yeah, a little bit. Yes. Well, she's not here, you know? Yeah. Did you communicate much with her? Did you talk on the phone? And yeah, yeah, we talked. Yeah, we talked. When Heidi rang, basically, because there was <laughs> Sorry? I know where she was or what she did, but when she, she'd ring. She would ring? You would ring mum and dad? Regularly, yeah. Heidi? I think so. Yeah, fairly yeah. regularly. I wouldn't tell them the stuff that I didn't want them to know, but I would no. tell them other things. Right, okay. Yeah. But there was still a desire to have a relationship with them. I guess that, that's yeah. my point. You hadn't sort of written yeah. them off as crazy Christian old fogies or no, anything like that. No, from when I was probably 15, I had a whole separate life to what my parents knew. So I was very good at hiding what I was doing on the weekend to who I was hanging out with. Right. Um, so I just wouldn't tell them right. what I was doing. We were very trusting. Right. So you're in Sydney... And um, how long have you been there before a major event that sort of occasioned you returning? Tell us about what happened and how long had you been there before that happened? I'd probably been there about a year, a little bit more than a year. And um, I had a car accident and broke my back and had to have um, spinal surgery and stop working. 
And so you needed mum and dad? Yes, because I, I couldn't work. Um, I had to move back to Queensland to live with mum and dad. How did you feel about that? Devastated. Devastated. Mm. <laughs> Devastated because you are going to miss out on your life in Sydney? Yes. Devastated because yes. you had to live with mum and dad? Yes. And devastated because of the pain in your back? Yes. So there's a lot yes. of devastation going on here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to say something, Lynn? Oh, I was just going to say the other thing for Heidi was because um, she was under 25, um, she, wasn't in, and she wasn't entitled to any government assistance, right. so the expectation from the government was that her family would support her, so she had no way of getting income whatsoever. Right. So you were forced back to Queensland. Can you uh, walk? What's your physical condition at this point? You've had spinal surgery in yeah. Sydney? Yes. Yeah. And a mum, did you go down to help with this? Or? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Down, yes. Yeah. And then you drove Heidi back, or how did that oh, work? No. I stayed in Sydney until I ran out of money, and I exhausted all options with the insurance company trying to get them to pay for me to be there. And then once there was no other choice, then I moved to Queensland. Right. Yeah. And you moved home with mum and dad. Yes. So you're now about 19 years of age. I was still 18. Still 18. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, how long did that? How long did you live with mum and dad for? Now, this on this occasion. Maybe six months or Six so. months. Yeah. yeah. Was that so that you could just get your mobility back? Was that six months to get strong and a bit um, more healthy? Or? It was more about the finances. So I was having physio and everything like that, but it was more because I couldn't live by myself because I had no income. Right. And you couldn't work at this stage? Yeah, I couldn't work. Right. Yeah. But after about six months, uh, why did the financial situation change? Did you get a job or...? I don't remember. Can't remember? <laughs> Maybe. Right. Um, Huh? Yeah. Because you moved out of home? Yeah. 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 You moved in with friends? Uh, yep. Yeah? Yep. Two guys from school. Two guys from school. Mm -hmm. um, and did you repeat the uh, activities of Sydney? Like, was it like living in Sydney, but now you're living in Brisbane in this terms of lifestyle yeah. and behaviour? Yep. Probably wasn't going out into the city as much, but was taking a lot of drugs and drinking a lot at home. Right. Mm -hmm. Living with these two blokes. Mm -hmm. Right. And these two guys, they're just friends. They're not boyfriend, if you know what yeah, I'm saying. people I went to school with. Yeah. Um, what happened to your boyfriend in Sydney that you went to Sydney with? Uh, we broke up when I broke my back. Right. It wasn't a very good relationship. Right. <laughs> okay, so you come back to, to Queensland now. Relationship with mum and dad, describe that for me at this point. Uh, it was stretched. It was stretched. <laughs> stretched. <laughs> Right. Okay, so mum and dad, tenuous. Uh, boyfriend in Sydney, give him the flick. Now we're living in this house with these two deros, I think was the word you used. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> You're living with a couple of deros. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, are you happy? No. Not really. Not like really? sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Wasn't great. But... Right. Wasn't terribly bad either. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, there's a bit of drug taking that's going on, a bit of drinking that's going on. Mm -hmm. The Darrow's are Darrowing on. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you meet an old flame? Well, tell me about that. There's a mm -hmm. boyfriend who comes onto the scene. Who, who's he? Where's he from? And how'd you meet him? Uh, he's from school. Yep. So, does he mates of the Darrow's? Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, the Darrow's have a non Darrow mate. Yeah, so I thought. <laughs> so you thought. <laughs> he turned out to be a Dero. Anyway, uh, so um, 
So this guy turns up on the scene and your heart starts being, you knew this guy from before? Mm-hmm. Did you have a relationship with him before? Um, no, I hadn't. When I was younger, I'd always liked him though in high school. Right. Yeah. So he now becomes your boyfriend? Yes. Right. So you're starting to share your life with him? Yes. Yeah. Right. He moved into the house. He moved into the house. And the other guys moved out. Oh, so we've got rid of the Darrows. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the boyfriend's moved in. Yeah. So now you're living in a house with the boyfriend. Are you working? I don't think so. Right. So how are you getting money to live? I don't know. Oh, right at the end, I got an insurance payout from breaking my back. So right. that paid for everything, I guess. Right. How often are you seeing mum and dad at this point? Not very often. Yeah, no, no. hardly ever. Hardly they weren't ever. happy about me living with the guys. No. So when you're in Sydney, you're ringing them quite semi-regularly or regularly. Mm-hmm. Are you still ringing them regularly? Probably not, no. No. Seldom at all, eh? Mm-hmm. Right. And you're about 19 at this point? Yes. Right. How are you feeling, Lynn, about all of this? Because you know she's virtually around the corner now, yeah? You know that she's had an accident, uh, and so she's f- maybe physically fragile, um, but she's not reaching out to you for much help. What, I- what are you doing? How are you handling this? Um, both Rach and I were really distressed <laughs> because when you, we... Whilst we didn't know the details, we had a fair idea of how she was living. And that was upsetting, but Mm -hmm. not much we could do about it. What did you do about it, Rich? Yes. (laughs) As Lynn said, we were distressed, but um, Lynn uh, had a word from God that that Heidi would never leave... um, never leave God or he, you know, she'd always, he'd always hang on to her and that was a long time ago that was like when she was a little tight and um, I had to I suppose hold on to that and I'm yeah I just sort of we at that well always like always if God says it well it happens you know type of thing yeah mm-hmm. you're trying to hold on to that and I think that's what I was we were doing with both of us we're trying to we're just remembering that that word that you know he would never leave her or never forsake her so mm-hmm. That's where it was. Would you it was have hard, any, though. <laughs> yeah. Would you have any advice to parents who find themselves in this situation, estranged from their, their teenage daughter, the apple of their eye, their hope, their, uh, their love, and, and brokenhearted about directions? What would you say to them if yeah. you had a chance? So um, it's, the way I always thought of it was it's Heidi's my princess and it's not the, what you want for your princess. Um, we, I should have said I cried a lot. <laughs> Um, and we went to church a lot and we prayed a lot and um, just kept, well, for me, I just kept declaring that even though I couldn't see it, Heidi would be walking with God all the days of her life, even though it didn't look like that to me at that point in time, and just, I suppose, trusting God. Yeah. Heidi, you were hiding your, be- you your behaviour, correct? Yes. What, did you you knew that they wouldn't accept that? Yeah. yeah. Did you feel that as um, as a personal rejection? No. 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 Explain that. So you you sense the fact that whilst they didn't imbibe your lifestyle habits, they still loved you. You you felt that. Tell yes. us a little bit about how you arrived at that conclusion. Um. I guess whenever I tried to do the right thing, they always welcomed me with open arms and they always loved me. They would, 
I was never allowed to do any of that stuff around them, but when I would come back to them, they'd always be really loving to me. Mm. Mm. Um, was there ever a time when they spoke harshly about your behaviour to you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, probably not specifics, but, you know, yes. No. Yeah. So you've now got an insurance payer. Um, so you're now financially quite well off, I guess, right? Yes. So what do you do? Um, I bought a house and a car. Oh. And you and the boyfriend moved there? Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Uh, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> For how long? Um, I, d- I don't know. <laughs> Well, you said it was okay. Yeah. It wasn't okay forever. No, no. So how long was it okay for? A very short period of time. A very short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And then what happened? It became unokay. Yes. How did it become unokay? Um, well, it, he had always taken much harder drugs, and I started taking harder drugs with him. Right. And how was that? Are you working at this point? No. No. Um, and what effect is that having on you physically? What effect is that having on your relationship? Um, we fought a lot. Um, and I started hearing voices. And, um, yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Would you say you, at this, it, we're getting to a point where you're kind of about to bottom out? Yes, yes, definitely. So tell, tell us about bottoming, in, bottoming out, hitting rock bottom, recognising I can't continue on this pathway. Yep. Yep, okay. Yep. Um, I remember being on the floor, the floor of the shower, crying out to God, asking him to help me to stop taking drugs because I had tried to over and over again, but I just kept on taking them and it felt like life couldn't get any worse and I knew that only he could help me. And did he? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, um, How did he help you? Um, he just set me free one day from taking drugs. Had you tried this? Had you tried to stop taking drugs before? Yes. And you weren't able to. No. So now you're on the bathroom floor. You say, God, help me. And he immediately gives you the power to stop taking drugs. Is, is that what happened? Yeah, like maybe not that second in the shower, but, you know, in the weeks afterwards, yes. And you never took drugs again? Um, I had occasionally, but not very often after that, no. Right. And your boyfriend, he's continuing to take drugs? <laughs> yes. How long? Um, so is that relationship straining, straining, straining about the break? Yes. Because you didn't want to live a lifestyle that was drug-taking, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Through all of this, you never lost your belief in the existence of God, correct? No. no. Did you lose belief in the fact that God had a purpose for your life? Yeah, I couldn't see it, yes. Right. How did you reconcile your behavior with the God factor? Um. In the beginning, I'd feel guilty about it and try and put it out of my mind, but then once I got addicted, it overtook that, so then I just didn't think about it for 
when I was taking drugs, not the whole time. Right. So you've developed a lifestyle of drug taking. Uh, you've got a boyfriend who's a drug addict on, on quite um, heavy drugs. I imagine there are other people in your world who are also taking drugs. Mm -hmm. And you're in the middle of this. Uh, you're a young girl. Um, how do you handle that? I mean, do you, do you think, I've got to get out of here? I need to get home. I need to get these people out of my life. What, what, like, how do, what do you do in that situation? You don't want to take drugs anymore, but you're in the middle of a drug-taking environment. Yeah. What do you I do? I thought I needed to get rid of him. You thought you needed to get rid of him? Yes. And did you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. How long? Um, After you stopped taking drugs, did you get rid of him? I don't know, maybe six months. Oh, no. I, no, that's not true. Probably 18 months, probably. Right. But there was a slow deterioration yeah, in, in the relationship. Yeah, it was getting worse and worse, and um, Axel was 18 months old, well, so I didn't want him having no. that kind of lifestyle and sure. having those sorts of people around him. Did you thank God for giving you the power to stop taking drugs? I did at the time. I was really grateful, but then that kind of wore, worn off, and I still I did my own thing after that. So. Right. Yeah. right. So there was a window of time when you all of a sudden the, the, the desire for drugs was gone and in that moment you're thankful to God but that wanes over, over time yes yeah. but you don't take the drug thing up again no no hmm. so did you replace it yes I started drinking right and was that as detrimental to your life as the drugs yeah definitely right yeah right. it was different Right. wasn't going crazy right. but um, as in mentally crazy but it was I was doing a lot of stupid things and yeah it wasn't having a good effect on me mm. so did you why you realise God I don't want to be a druggie take these drugs from me I think I'm going to drink <laughs> tell, us, tell us how you arrive at that conclusion you know what I'm saying? Like, you've, you've kind of concluded yeah. that drugs aren't for me, like, yeah. that they take control of me, they take me on a pathway that's not good for me, yeah. but you somehow conclude, meh, I'll try, I'll try a drink. Well, I didn't think it through. It just, <laughs> you know, I started drinking and then that turned into a habit and then right. I got to the point where I was in the same position as I was with the drugs where I couldn't stop drinking. Was it fueled by a, a group of drinkers or was it something you did alone? Um, I mean, I would drink with other people, but mostly alone. Right. So for you, it really was uh, um, an es a place to escape, would you say? Yeah. yeah. What were you escaping? A lot of bad decisions. A lot of bad decisions? Yeah. The consequence of the feeling of those yeah. consequences of those decisions? Did you think at that time, when you were escaping those, uh, the consequence of those bad decisions... Did it occur to you that this is another bad decision? Yes, yes, definitely. Yeah. Right. Especially the next day. Right. Yeah, but <laughs> I, um, I wasn't able to stop. Right. Yeah. So this has got its claws into you now. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you ask God to help you again? Probably. Probably? Yeah. But this time, not so much. It wasn't working. Yeah. Did your mother know you were drinking? A little 
I had an idea um, that she was. I didn't understand the extent right. of it. Right. Israel told me. Right. <laughs> the, the brother. Brother's always the narc, isn't he, eh? The bit little brother. <laughs> the little brother. The little brother. So, so the boyfriend's gone? Yeah, he's on and off. He's on and off, yeah. right. Um, and the, but the alcohol is now a serious part of your life. Yes. Um, are you going to get to rock bottom again and cry out to God? How's, like, at some point, you're going to get to a, a moment when you say, I'm going to pursue God. Now, I thought you'd got there on the floor of the bathroom. God, you know, my life's a mess. Help me. God says, hey, I'll help you. And then it's kind of like you thought, well, God's helped me. Now I'll just go and live my own life. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but you got serious about this at some point. Yeah. Tell so I um, started coming to church. I started coming here. Okay. So, but I would come to church and not speak to anybody. I, I wanted Axel to go to kids' church. So yeah. I'd bring him to kids' church and come in, you know, before it started and leave before it left, uh, but leave right as soon as it finished. Yeah. Yeah. Did anyone talk to you? I had a pretty sour look on my face. Like, don't <laughs> The message was out there. Don't yeah. speak to me, yeah. people. Yeah. So I think I probably did that for a year or two, year and a half. Yeah, yeah. where I just attended church and then um, left. But God, during that time, God was softening my heart, yeah. and I didn't want to connect with anybody because I didn't. I knew what I was doing wasn't okay, and I didn't want to lie to people. Um, but I wasn't going to tell them the truth. So, but God was working on my heart during yeah. that time. So what, what brought you to church? Why did you come to church? Because, you know, your experience with church as a, a little, you know, as a young person, you sort of, there's no one here my own age, you know, they're, you know, they're all old people. Um, you recognize that your life's not heading in a great direction. Uh, why even come? What was the attraction? Did mum invite you? Did dad threaten you or what happened <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah mum and dad invited me to come and ensure I'm back um, and I wanted I guess I wanted Axel to have the life that I had when I was a kid right mm. right so the responsibility of the child was a big driver here in well, you coming yes but clearly not enough clearly not so, enough yeah. yeah so you start coming to church and um, you turn up most Sundays yeah, and you listen and you sort of put on the Christian sort of airs and graces, you know, praise God, hallelujah, I know what's going on no. here. No? No. Right. No. You won't participate? No. 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 Just, you look, you're sort of like death warmed up. Yeah. You're like a pork chop in a synagogue, as they say. <laughs> so... Uh, so how long do you come to church maintaining this kind of, uh, you know, prickly, don't touch me, I don't want to talk to any of you, I really want my kid to have this God thing, but hey, it's not where I'm at. Maybe a year or two. A year or two. And something breaks it down. Yeah. Um, one day in church, God told me, I saw an um, ad for the youth, like a youth alive thing they were having and God told me to volunteer to help and I really didn't want to at all 
but I just felt like I had to, so I did. And um, I went along to that, and when I was at that Youth Alive conference, that's when God just broke down all my walls and just restored restored me. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was it? What tell, can you tell us what what that was? So you you, you know you're a, you're not a kid, you know you know. So you're there to help with the kids, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Um, you've seen this ad for this Youth Alive conference coming up. Yeah. T- t- uh, how did you get there? Because you don't know anybody. Um, I contacted Brett and then went in the bus. Did you know Brett? No. No. You just ring him out of the blue. So hi, Brett. This yeah. is Heidi. Yeah. <laughs> Brett says, oh, g'day, Heidi, how are you? Yeah. And you say, oh, I'm here to help, Brett. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I've got an alcohol problem, but I'm here to look after the kids. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, you know, so tell, tell us a bit. I mean, I made a bit of a joke out of that, but yeah. tell us exactly what happened out of curiosity. Um, like with, when I called. And it yeah, was, yeah, so you yeah. ring Brett, you're going on a Youth Alive yeah. conference but you're not a youth no um yeah so I'd meet at South Bank with the youth and help prepare the food and it was really awkward and terrible nobody spoke to me only Josie Price spoke to me and then on the second day Alicia Rashley was there and she spoke to me and invited me to come to a women's conference um like in a fortnight and I just decided to do that so I flew down with the women from Centro to um the colour conference in okay. Sydney Right. And yeah, God healed me more there. <laughs> or brought you alive more, depending on how you look at it. I guess yeah. you could say killed the flesh. So yeah, that's bad. So, um, so something touched you at the Youth Alive conference that then continued at the Colour conference? Yes. Yeah? Tell us a little bit more then. I mean, so you are really changing. Is the alcohol gone? Yes, yes, yes. The I'm alcohol's gone. When did the alcohol go? Uh, I don't know exactly. I don't think it was like I came back and then... I'm not sure. It just did. Was there a conversation you had with your mother once? Yes. Tell us about that. Uh, I called mum when I was drunk, and I'd never spoken to mum or dad drunk. I'd always hidden it from them. And I called her when I was drunk and talked her head off about five hours or something. Wow. (laughs) And told her everything. Wow. How long after that did the drink dry out? I don't think I ever drunk, like, yeah. So that was it? Yeah. That was it? Yeah. Wow. Israel never said it anymore, so it must have stopped. <laughs> That's a very significant point, though, isn't it? That the minute you could let your mother know what was going on, it didn't go on again. You couldn't have the power to break it until you revealed it to mum and dad. Yeah, when I stopped lying. And stop lying, mm. and the minute you stop living the lie, the thing you were covering up left. Wow, that's very significant. That's a very significant moment. Because I think, if I can just divert for a moment, I think a lot of us suffer with things that we hide and we can't get over the top of, but we're too ashamed to tell anybody, and uh, and we we take these things with us, and they get on top of us and they start to kill us. When if we could just get rid of any sense of judgment, wouldn't it be great if there was no shame, if there was no judgment, if we could all just come out and tell someone what was going on inside of us and then be re- free and, and rid of it, eh? That's, that's just, that's quite remarkable. 
That's quite remarkable. So you come to, to colour. You, you've had this drunken discussion with your mother for five hours. <laughs> That's a bit of a turnaround. You hardly have any talking and yeah. now she speaks for five hours. Did you think, oh, she should drink more often and ring up? Because <laughs> how did you feel about this conversation? Um, okay. I just really listened. Really? Yeah. Did you lecture her? Did you say, stop oh, no. drinking? No, no, I don't think I've I'd ever lectured. I didn't normally lecture her either, but I didn't on that occasion, no. Right, right. And, and so, so at that point, she's come, you're coming to church, right? This is, this is post coming to church, this drunken discussion. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was it before? During. During. During, during yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so you've, you've, you've done the colour thing. And tell us a little bit more about what's going on inside your heart and how you're starting to reconnect with God and reconnect with people in a Um, positive way. God changed my heart totally. He's softened my heart and um, I'd been so harsh and angry at everything for so long and he just took all of that away and I was getting back to my old self. Mm. Um, What were you angry at? I don't know. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Was was that anger fueling any of this behaviour? Were you angry at God? Were you angry at your parents? Were you angry at yourself? You know? Oh, one I, thing was, to, I was angry at myself, but I was just angry. I was angry at the world. I don't know if there was really reason. Right. The world wasn't giving you what you wanted and you'd <laughs> taken it out on the world sort of thing. You think so? Yeah. So you, you've, you've been to colour. Tell us, you know, a bit more of the journey. You've come back from colour and you've gone anywhere else? <laughs> One voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so mum always used to invite me to every kind of church thing that there was and say, oh, you know, come and I'll pay for you and I'll buy you dinner and everything. And so she took me to One Voice um, at the convention centre. Was that before colour? I think that was actually before colour. Oh, I don't know. It was oh. at some point, yeah. Oh. And um, no, it was before colour because yeah. I was going to the um, services and then ducking outside to smoke during the breaks. And, oh. yeah. <laughs> right. And so the cigarette thing, so that was another thing you had to break? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when did that break? Um, Dad in Israel said they'd paint my whole house if I stopped smoking. <laughs> so. Bribery. <laughs> Good old Dad in Israel, eh? And, and that worked. Mm. Okay. Well, Great. they did it before. They painted the house before it actually quit, and I couldn't believe that they'd done that because I was so undeserving and untrustworthy, and they trusted me and wow. believed in me, so wow. I felt like I couldn't let them down. Wow which is unusual because I'd let them down many times before that. Wow, wow. And so because they had shown to you, in your mind, such incredible grace painting a house for you, you thought, well, I can't smoke again. Yes. Wow. So, Reg, when were you um, sort of convinced that Heidi is back? I I don't think there was any one moment, but you could see the progression. You could just see where, and I mean, 
don't ask me for details. That's worth, God, I can't remember my name half the time. But you know, <laughs> you know, just, 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 if there was a progression, you could just see. You know, and I think what happened was the thing that really, well, there was one thing. Heidi had, a, had this laugh, um, just this really lovely laugh. And I just loved it. I used to cackle with her. And uh, she got it back. She started to get this laugh back. Oh, it just. Right. Yeah. That's when it was. Lynn? The laugh. Did you want to add to that? Yes. Um, when um, Heidi told us she was going to get baptised in water, we realised that was when I realised. <laughs> that was when I realised it was a permanent change. It wasn't just yeah. sort of a bit of a backwards and forwards that we'd been on for quite a long time. Yeah. Wow. And what did the baptism mean to you? It meant a lot to me. It was. Um, you know, significant of leaving my old life behind and declaring to everybody that, you know, I was going to follow God for the rest of my life. Good on you. Excellent. How old are you now, Heidi? 33. 33, right. And uh, if you had the option of giving your 17-year-old self some advice, what would you say to yourself now that you've got this extra years of experience? Uh, be very careful who you hang out with and who you let influence you. Because right. you don't, you don't think that one day you're going to wake up in a mess. Like that's not what you aim to do. But if you know, like what you preached about this morning, like if you are doing these things, they're going to eventually lead there. Yeah. Lead there. Yeah. yeah. So choose your company carefully. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Lynn, if you could live the time over again. Is there anything you would change? Um, yeah. One thing, and both Rich and I agree on this, that um, obviously we made lots of mistakes, but one of the big mistakes we made was that we didn't keep our kids in a constant youth group. Um, somehow we thought they'd be all right or we didn't think it through or whatever, but we should have left them in a youth group where they were surrounded by... Um, the, the right sort of influences and that, um, yeah. yeah, and that, would, that was a mistake, right. definitely. Yeah, great, excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, why don't we thank this fantastic family? <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Heidi. Well done, guys. Not easy to do when you've got to face everybody next week. And uh, so thank you once again so much. Uh, appreciate your honesty and, uh, and the frankness in which you shared tonight, Reg, Lynn, uh, and Heidi. And there really was, in that little um, scenario, some incredible takeaways. I hope you picked them up. The whole idea about just confessing, the whole idea about revealing to the people around you what's going on inside of your world as a catalyst being free of that and uh, you know I'm so thankful uh, that Reg and Lynn responded in such a graceful way the whole way through that that option was there for Heidi at some point and I think keeping that option open you know if you've got a kid if you've got a family member who's going through it at the moment man we've got to fight to keep that option open We've we, we got to fight to make sure that when they want to speak, we are there to listen. Because as they speak, 
the, um, it's, it's like uh, the chains are, are released from their life. Such an incredible, incredible thing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 